Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up, or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another spooky, scary, crazy episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, joined as always by the spookishly, floaty, riffically co-host of mine, Josh Rutledge. How are you today? I'm doing spectacular. I'm tired. Uh, I've only had about four hours of sleep, so it's going to be an interesting episode. It is. It is going to be an interesting episode because just that's they always are. We we only bring interesting. That's right. Okay. That's right. You keep your lips so shut. <laughs> but yeah, no, we got a fun episode. Uh, like we mentioned last week, we had way too much information on John Teeter, but we didn't want to put it away. So we are going to be doing part two of John Teeter. Part do. Part do. So we're going to be picking up where we left off. I've been thinking about this all week. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to watch some uh, videos on YouTube and they just weren't your voice and I didn't want it. <laughs> so uh, anyways, we're going to be doing that. Um, but before that, let's get into our segments for tonight's episode. And of course, that always starts with the psychic word or words of the week. And now, the psychic word of the week. Uh, so, uh, for this week, out of the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by June Bletzer, rest in peace, my love, uh, the word that we um, moved our fingers across the pages to was... Demanded Psy Try. Demanded Psy Try. And that's P-S-I. Okay, I was going to ask how it was spelled. So So what this says is, to compel one's psychic ability to surface immediately because someone needs proof of this ability. This is an abnormal characteristic of mental or physical psychism and mediumship that could cause physical disorders or mental imbalance within the psychic. Psychic and mediumship information or beaming energy from one's hands or eyes should be pre-planned and the environment scanned preceding the turning on of any psychic skill, except for intuition. Uh, Pre-planning can be subconsciously willed if all things are favorable. 
An unknowledgeable and criticizing public sometimes demands or challenges the psychic to give a psychic answer or to perform a psychic feat, which can lead a good psychic to fake an answer because of his or her desire to verify that psychism is factual. Hastiness prevents the psychic from reaching his or her normal low state of consciousness needed to manipulate matter. So demanded psi try is exactly what it sounds like now that I hear it is yeah. basically forcing a psychic to use their abilities on the spot, which right. is something that, uh, oh, what's his name? James, um, can't think of his name offhand, but he was like the big famous psychic debunker, uh, during the seventies and eighties. Uh, they even did a great documentary on him. I watched it, but I mean, his whole thing was about debunking psychics because oh, they couldn't do it on demand. Yeah, and um, you know, and even uh, Yuri, uh, that really famous Israeli psychic, uh, that's able to do telekinesis and all kinds of stuff. I mean, that was like his big "I'm gonna get you, sucker." And I mean, Yuri was never able to do anything, uh, you know. And that that was always his 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 whole thing was that you, you're not able to replicate it. You know, unless you have time to set it up. And so he was essentially saying, hey, you've planned it. And he debunked a lot of psychics. Like, there was a psychic that was on, like, the uh, Mike Douglas show that was able to use his mind to move the pages of a phone book. Like, wind was blowing at it. Well, come to find out, the guy had a thing, and it was, like, blowing air out of his hands. I mean, yeah. he debunked this whole thing. I mean, this guy for years was making money. That was his shtick. Yeah. Just different things like that. So he debunked a lot. And and at the end of the day, a lot of them just weren't able to perform yeah. <laughs> on the spot, supposedly. Well, I mean, I, I just think it's really interesting, though, that um, for that type of crap, if you are le- le- you know legitimate, for that type of craft, if you want to call it that, I think that a it takes a long time to um, understand your skill. Then it takes a long time after that to really perfect your skill. Sure, a lot of a lot of us in the field like that consider X Men a perfect example. You know, it's like you got to learn how to control it, how to use yeah. it, and it does. It takes a very very long time. So to be able to just willy nilly you know <laughs> shoot light from your eyes or or whatever that the right. book just said, you know, is uh, you know, I, I just don't know how realistic. Well, that is. I also think that um, there needs to be belief on the other party as well. Sometimes, yeah, that uh, you're going to have a mental block that won't allow you to accept the energy I'm sending your way, right? Well, and so know. if something is non-corporeal, you're not going to accept it. Well, and in, and and also, I mean, if if um, if I'm talking to you, think about. I don't know if you've ever done any type of uh, like sales or marketing classes, Mm -hmm. but they talk a lot about body language, right? Yeah. And so one of the things they tell you about body language is if you fold, if somebody folds their arms across their chest, that usually means they're not open to hear whatever you have to say. To this day, when I have an interview, like I, I, I will always catch myself. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, they say to be, you know, instead like put your hands on the table or place them open to show that you are open to Mm -hmm. receive whatever's being said. So that, type of body language, I think, uh, is a visible uh, application of what the energy that you're projecting. So you're basically, if you are closed off to the idea, you're projecting negative energy, right? Or potentially even a vacuum. uh, So you're just pulling everything in. So that person who's trying to perform on command, 
uh, in a task that is very difficult for them to do anyway. Yeah, uh, just doesn't isn't able to to draw from the positive energy. Well, I mean, in the area. I'll tell you, just as a performer, like a singer and actor and things like that, my dad is the worst. He's like, say something funny, right? <laughs> or he'll be like, sing us a song. Yeah. And I get stage fright. Yeah. It's like the only time I get stage fright. I hate getting put on the spot. And then if I do sing something, I'm nervous, so my voice is like. You know, a little bit. It's yeah. not as good as it normally would be. Right. You know, and my dad's like, but you sing so beautiful on stage. Right. So it's like, I, I get it. I get it. It, you know, to be put on the spot like that is, is difficult, especially when something that you're not sure you really, can, really you know, yeah. you don't yeah. trust it. Like, you know, like I said, it's, it's something you're still working to perfect if you want to call it that and so um to to expect someone to perform on demand on something that they're still working on yeah so yeah so but anyways yeah that's i could i could talk a whole episode about this but i'm not (laughs) i'm not going to um because i want to get into what do we got next spooky Spooky news? news yeah let's get into some spooky news So for uh, El Spooko Nuzo this week, uh, I've got something that you actually brought to me, which uh, deals with Stonehenge. Uh, and this comes from the constructionindex.co.uk. Uh, but basically what it says is that bids called for 35 pound, excuse me, 35 million pounds Stonehenge dig. So it says highways in England, uh, or excuse me, the, the, I guess it, it sounds like it's a company, maybe it is, but Highways England is advertising for archaeologists to carry out digs along the route of the planned 1.7 billion pound Stonehenge tunnel in Wiltshire. Uh, what this says is that while the upgrade of the A303 Amesbury to Berwick Down past Stonehenge has yet to receive development consent from the government, Highways England is in negotiations with three teams of contractors pitching to build eight miles of new dual carriageway and a tunnel at least two miles long. It is now published the contract notice for archaeological works on the route, which will only go ahead if the planning consent is granted. The 35 million pounds archaeology contract involves documentation, site works, processing, laboratory work, reporting and dissemination, as well as archaeological evaluation and recording. Bidders are being invited to tender via Highways England's Bravo tendering portal at their website. Highway England project director Derek Parody said the World Heritage Site around Stonehenge is a heritage site of national and international importance. We want to ensure that archaeological remains are preserved and recorded in advance of scheme construction by commissioning appropriate archaeological expertise. Throughout this project, we have been working closely with the country's heritage bodies and a scientific committee of eminent archaeological experts to ensure the scheme will conserve and enhance the World Heritage Site, and that this will continue throughout the archaeological investigations and construction process. The procurement process in no way preempts the granting of a development consent order, and while we await the Secretary of State's decision, we need to progress the procurement to ensure the project is in the best position it can be in to proceed at the pace thereafter. So yeah, there's all this stuff that's going on, you know, because they want to make sure they don't come across 
anything because you haven't been able to dig or do anything right. along those lines in there because it's a World Heritage Site. Right. And so it'll be very interesting to see to, what they dig to up. To see what they find. And I think it'll be exceptionally interesting if they find something significant, uh, how that impacts their plans to basically build like England super highway right uh, right through the middle of right it. through so, the middle of it yeah, yeah. God, could you imagine how haunted that would be oh, that's what, a, what if the tunnel went right underneath Stonehenge <laughs> I mean, <that'd> be... <laughs> like they would be opening portals inside yeah. the tunnel oh yeah. man you'd be driving through next thing you know you're on Lanulus you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll go around but lord almighty that's crazy to think about man well, I mean just the yeah I mean so so number one it's cool that well so I little bit of thing i think that it's cool that they're taking the time to get an archaeological dig Mm -hmm. to make sure they don't mess anything up right but number two i think they're doing it probably because there's some reluctant reluctance reluctance thank you you're welcome (laughs) um, from people to allow the project to continue oh yeah because of the potential impact what it reminds me of is like the uh the dakota pipeline here Um, You know, I wonder if that's the same thing. I mean, now, granted, uh, for the most part, the Romans murdered every single Druid. Um, So the Druids that are around now, more than likely, were not bloodline related to most of the Druids then. But I I can imagine my pagan peoples being like, but at the same time, like the pagan me's like, what you gonna find? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you bring a bigger highway through there, you're gonna bring more tourism, and more tourism also means more destruction. Yeah. So, I, from what I've gathered, you're not even allowed to go into Stonehenge now. Like, you can only see it from a distance. Like, mm. they have partitions up, and uh, certain times of year, High Holy Holidays, pagans are allowed to go in and do rituals. In fact, Santosh got to do it when he lived in England. Um, he got to go in Stonehenge and did... Um, I don't remember what holiday it was. Maybe it was if it was Samhain, that would have been really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know which one he did. But yeah, for the most part, from what I've heard, you can't you can't walk through it anymore other because than, of people. Yeah, other than for movies, you can yeah, see movies. people ruining things and yeah. putting graffiti right on these stones. It's just ugh, I don't get it. Anyways, yeah. have, you, have you seen? There's a I think it came out last year or the year before. It's like a. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie because I'm uh, tired. But it, it's about this kid who finds Excalibur in England, and he like has to assemble a court. And he, there's like a young kid. Oh, like, are you talking about uh, the Dark is Rising? Uh, I think the movie was The Seeker. No, and the book is The Dark is Rising. Sequence. No, this is like the kid in King Arthur's court. <laughs> no, it it's something. I mean, it's something along those lines. It, like I said, it's just a couple years old. But anyways. Um, a kid version of Merlin. It's really cool. The, 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 like the old man Merlin played by Patrick Stewart. The kid version of Merlin, some other guy. But was it a movie or a show? It's definitely a movie. It's definitely a movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause I was like, the show Merlin has a young Merlin yeah. and it's an incredible show. If you've never watched it. But, um, it. but one of the things that Merlin says that Stonehenge is, is portals to get around the world. Oh, that would make, you know, it's interesting. I'm watching, I I talked about Outlander before, but they have certain areas that are portals and they're circles like Stonehenge. And there's one that's in Scotland, which is where she went through, but they ended up finding one in Jamaica as well as in North Carolina that Native Americans had built. And it was uh, a whole different type and it was, Mm. you know, their religion type. But yeah, you could, you could enter through those portals uh, and and get, it, it didn't take you to different parts of the world, but each of them could take you to the same timeline. Like, it was really interesting. 
The Kid Who Would Be King. That's what it is. Oh, uh, okay. There's a lot of similar movies yeah. like that. <laughs> but but that was uh, I thought it was a really good really good movie. But uh, but yeah, he's just like they're like there's all these tourists around Stonehenge. And there's just, like kids walking up in like night gear and stuff, <laughs> and they just walk up and like Merlin does something and a portal opens up. And they just walk. Oh, that's super cool. That's super cool. And who knows? Maybe there is, and they've got some underground installation, yeah. and there's one at Skin uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, I don't know. I don't know. We won't know till season six, but <laughs> <laughs> that it, that it, nothing was there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because they got told by the government don't share the information. <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't know. But yeah, interesting spooky news this week. Very, very cool. Uh, hopefully, uh, when I go to Europe this, uh, this fall, I'm hoping to get over to Stonehenge as part of our trip. Hope, hope, hope. Um, that's, <laughs> it's super important to me. I hope it's important to my wife, Sarah. Hope this is important to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move into our UFO sighting of the week. All right, you guys know this is our UFO sighting of the week where uh, Josh finds us, uh, you know, doesn't have to be a recent one, but just one that kind of grabbed his attention. And, uh, you know, so we can show you how many dang old uh, UFO sightings of the week. And I want to say this real quick. I just started reading uh, John Keel's new, not new one, yeah. the newest one for me, the, tr- what is it, Operation Trojan Horse? Trojan Horse, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm only five pages in, but immediately he's talking about he spent four years um, looking up UFO sightings, yep. and he was part of a clip service, which I remember those from early, in the yep. early '80s, where they would they would clip anything that like came up in a search. Right. Which how they did that then with no computers, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, this is like the late '60s, early yeah, '70s. Yeah, this is it was '66 to 1970. Right. And so he he gets all these these clippings and all this stuff, and he said that he received over two thousand. Um, and so many were on the same day and all kinds of stuff like that. And they were all small towns. So nobody knew, like they yeah. weren't being report. It was just, yeah. it just blows my mind. And we're seeing the same thing. And it's well, it like, because now the news doesn't report it as much. So, well, you, th- you think about it like this, um, when, uh, during the new deal, when we built all the interstates, right? Mm-hmm. What happened? Everybody started using the interstates and all the small towns along like Route 66 and the, the used to be main roads, right? right. To, to get places kind of started to wither away and nobody really knew what was happening. Oh yeah, it's scary out in New Mexico, by the way, on Route 66 <laughs> because it is. It's like a mile from the main highway and it's just empty buildings. It's, it's sad. So the, the, in my mind, it's kind of the same thing is happening. The more and more that like, and I hate to use the term, but, but we'll call it big media. The big media outlets and things like that come into play. You don't hear as much from the smaller media outlets out there. So for all we know, there are things being reported to local newspapers and things like that, but they're just not being picked up and redistributed. Even then, yeah, like things like uh, here in Louisville, the Courier Journal um, bought out a lot of small town newspapers and they just give them a tiny little four page section yeah. that's their neighborhood or their town w- with the Louisville newspaper. And so you're not getting a full newspaper right. set anymore. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And, it, it, and then if anybody like puts that stuff on the internet, well, that's gotta be crazy. Right? Yeah. Well, and it's, <laughs> and, and also I think it takes a, 
there's a certain kind of person to call and report it to your local newspaper. <laughs> it's a different kind of person to report it on an online website. Yeah. Um, so I still think that there are probably a lot of sightings and things that previously would have been reported via local newspaper that aren't getting reported. Oh, same thing how people used to report it to the local police. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's doing that anymore. It, they're, they're either not telling anybody or they're just saying, hey, on Facebook, I did it or move on or something yeah. along those lines. Anyways, I'm sorry. That was way off topic. That <laughs> was related to the I topic. just had, I was thinking about it because it's fresh in my head because I was taking a dump today and that's what I was reading. So. <laughs> Well, then, on to that. So, this uh, this sighting involves a toilet bowl-shaped UFO. <laughs> All right, so this happened on uh, Tuesday, June 9th, so recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, spear, a sphere-shaped, and it, it happened for about five uh, minutes in Mount Clare, West Virginia. Uh, shout out to WB. Just after midnight... On the morning of June 9th, my wife, 10-year-old daughter, and I observed multiple lights just south of our house in southern Harrison County, West Virginia. At first, there were three groups of lights, just to the southeast, flashing lights very rapidly while hovering at a complete stop. Then, approximately one-quarter to one-half a mile away to the west of those lights, there were three other groups of lights that seemed to be responding to the other lights. Immediately after that, one of the lights to the southeast climbed vertically roughly 100 feet above the other two. At the same exact time, all the flashing lights all leveled off and began moving westerly. Within approximately the next two to three minutes, four to six more lights appeared where the first three lights started flashing before moving to the west. All of the flashing lights moved west and disappeared behind the mountains in the foreground. There were no recorded flights in our area, according to Flight Tracker, as I was trying to calm everyone down, trying to prove maybe it was some kind of possible air training exercise. Hmm. This was in West Virginia, which is I don't I don't know where. Yeah, I don't either. Mount Clare. The what it says Harrison County, West Virginia. So let's take a peek here real quick. But I, I'm just curious how close that is to like everything Brown else. Mountain and everything <laughs> yeah. that happens out there, because um, it's it does seem to be like that. There's just a lot of things that happen close to the mountains in West Virginia. Yeah, just West Virginia in general. Like, I'm just getting to know Joe. Um, They have so many famous cryptids. I think they have, like, four or five, like, (laughs) like just for West Virginia alone, you know, like. So it looks like it's, like, maybe a little bit north of Charleston, West Virginia, and just a little bit maybe couple hundred miles south of Pittsburgh, so it's towards the northern part of the state. Toward the northern, northern sturt. Northern part of the state. <laughs> but still, I mean... I mean, Point it, Pleasant isn't far if it's near Charleston, so... Yeah. Well, and, and it just really is, um, again, just the, the things that seem to happen around mountains and plateaus. And, yeah. You know, just, again, thinking about the, the correlations that must exist um, that just haven't been 
it's not, and that's really what got me thinking about the whole correlation idea is the first part of the Operation Trojan Horse book from Keel, where he talks about basically doing, you know, he was looking at it strictly from a USO, UFO, US, UFO <laughs> um, aspect, but, you know, makes you wonder if you were to gather everything together for Sasquatch and UFO and UAP and insert random whatever here and look at it holistically if it would start to paint a picture as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, have a a radar map to show you where things are clumped and uh, things like that. You know, it's even probably something that um, if you had all the dates and the times and the locations, you could probably even feed it into a predictive model and predict where Where? (laughs) things would occur. Oh, that's scary. That's (laughs) scary. I was just watching uh, something where they were talking about that. It's like, you know, uh, we have math. We can predict anything. Like they, what the heck was I watching? Whatever, it doesn't matter. But yeah, that that's something they talked about. You know, yeah. being able to predict things simply based on uh, data and, and math. Yeah, like it's crazy. So yeah, so that's our that's our UFO sighting. Um, looking forward to you know in just several weeks, we're hoping to get out to West Virginia. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. If we have any sightings to report. If the last two times we've gotten together at <laughs> night are any indication, yes. Yeah. Yes, we will. Um, and uh, this is a good segue into uh, this week's creepy catch up. So let's move right into that. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Y'all, it's creepy. Uh, so yeah, creepy catch up. We're going to share a little bit if there's been anything paranormal that's happened to us or spooky, you know, uh, or creepy within the last week. Um, so something odd that happened to me this week is uh, technically uh, I've got another thing, but I think I figured it out of the second one. Um, and I'll share that cause I just remembered that. But the first one is, is I woke up. I fell asleep on the couch and, uh, which, uh, it's not, it's a reclining couch. So there's no laying across it. So I usually, if I do that, I usually end up, my feet are on the floor. I'm like halfway down it. Like it's ridiculous. But the TV that I have when it's turned off on the bottom left has this blue light. Okay. It's a weird blue light. I don't know. Is it, it an is. LG? No. Oh, cause I have an LG. It does the same thing. I don't think it's an LG. No, it's a Toshiba. Okay. Uh, but it's a fire TV. But okay. anyway, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just the weirdest thing. And I was already having a weird dream about whatever I was reading at the time. So it had to be, oh, Alan Greenfield's book, uh, The Secret Cipher. Yeah. Uh, Because I was finishing that. So he was in my dream, you know, and like John (laughs) Keel showed up and aliens. It was just this whole crazy thing, whatever. But anyways, like I wake up and and it's like I hear this um, like someone talking. But it was no one that I knew. It almost sounded like a news broadcast, like type, that type of voice, right? It's going off. And while it's going, the blue light is like moving all around. And I'm not moving. And, you know, the skeptic in me right away says, oh, my eyes were twitching or things like that. However, whenever the voice would talk, it would bounce in accordance to the vocals. So like, you know, the the moving dots. Boom, boom, boom. So 
every syllable would bounce, 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 and it would just move, move, move. And then when it would stop, if there was a pause, it would just kind of like woo, you know, like figure like eight, yeah, type. swoosh around, and it scared the living hell out of me for some reason. I mean, I, I don't know why, but it, it, I mean, it frightened me. And I mean, I had goosebumps all over my entire body. And I was like, Stefan, you know, again, I was like, Stefan, you're just, you're, you're just left over from your dream. That's what you're hearing. And your eyes are just goofy. Cause you know, when you're late at night and you're by yourself, you become a serious skeptic until the morning. And then you're like, ah, that was something cool. Right. But at that point I'm like, no, just go to bed. It's fine. (laughs) This is just what it is. And so, yeah, I wandered into bed, man. And I laid there for a while thinking about it. Like I couldn't. It reminds me of that, um, and you're, you can probably tell me what I'm talking about, but I'm not thinking clearly right now. So the scene in, uh, Justice League with the, the one with Matt, no, Ben Affleck. Yep. Um, Matt Fleck. Yeah, Matt Fleck. <laughs> <laughs> um, where he like falls asleep in the uh, bat cave mm-hmm. and then he get, gets that visitor from whatever the future or whatever that's yeah, like the flash yell, that's like yelling at him yeah. that's kind of what it, it's almost like it that's what it feels like for me it was like you were getting some kind of uh, half asleep premonition type thing I, yeah i wonder i wish i wish i hadn't been so focused on the light to listen to I, what, yeah i wasn't listening to what was being said um, because it was the the listening that woke me, uh, you know, the the noise is what woke me up. Yeah. But it was still, it was real etheric. Like it wasn't the the sound didn't sit correctly, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I don't know if it was just in my head or what. Well, even if it was just in your head, that still doesn't mean that it may not be right. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But it, it was it was spooky enough. But yeah, I wish I would have listened to it because now and you're saying that, and I'm like, man, I didn't even think about that. What if it was like some news story? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that I needed to pay attention from that right. John Teeter sent back or something. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, anyways, yeah, that was that was my. The other thing was, as I went outside, I was like, I, I thought about you too. It's like anytime I'm outside. Or I get that I that I should go look outside. I now go outside and I look, and I did. I saw a big, huge, bright star, right? And I'm like, what the heck? I mean, it was huge, and um, it wasn't the North Star, you know, anything like that. It wasn't moving. It, it never moved. Uh, and then I looked it up on the uh, Stargazer app or whatever that Jupiter. Uh, yeah, it was Jupiter, and um, it was so yeah. huge, though. I mean, like. Ju- actually, Jupiter. If, if you uh, anybody with telescope, Jupiter is in really good uh, timing right now. Yeah, I looked it up. I looked it up, but yeah, it, it scared me because I didn't know what it was. And it's not only is it Jupiter, but there's a huge uh, galaxy cluster that mm-hmm. was sitting directly behind it at the moment as well. That uh, more than likely also gave yeah. luminescence to it. But uh, but yeah. So from an astronomy point of view, uh, Jupiter is right now at a really good point to see. Um, you can see Jupiter really well, and you can see four or five of Jupiter's moons really oh, well. Man, I need a telescope. Hey, blanket <laughs> huggers, if you would like to donate a telescope to Stefan, just email us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Also, Saturn, <laughs> Saturn is effaced, where you can actually see some of the rings of Saturn. Oh, that's so cool. I, I have yet to see a planet in a telescope. I've only ever really? seen the moon. Um, 
it's something spectacular to yeah, see. Yeah, I really, really want to see a planet. That's well, maybe the next time you're out, if it's clear night, I could telescope out. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know why we didn't. Th- we haven't thought to bust the telescope out yet. I've got two, so I got one that. Oh, I've got two. Tracks with the moon as the moon moves. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, I need to stop buying video games. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Did you have any creepy catch up this week? You know, I was trying to think about it, and um, if I did, it, it didn't stick with me. Yeah. Um, and I've had a really big project at work that kind of finished up this week, and uh, I think I've been just so focused on that. Oh that yeah, you can you can totally block yeah <laughs> block anything. So, all right, well that gives us a good excuse then to move on and get into uh, John Teeter Part Two. Uh, but before we uh, go there, let's take a quick ad break. Hey, Blanket Huggers, Stefan here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast, and do we have a scary good deal for you right now. If you head over to fearscapepodcast.com forward slash Gamefly, you can get a 30-day free trial Gamefly subscription on us. Now, if you're not familiar with Gamefly, it's a game and movie rental service where you can play the hottest video games for systems like the Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, or even the PS4. You can get up to two games or movies out at a time, and you can do that an unlimited amount of times a month. Josh and I love to play our game systems, and I am really enjoying the Final Fantasy VII Remake right now. And if you're like me, games are too expensive to buy and beat in the same weekend. Well, with Gamefly, you can get it and keep a game as long as you need. Then you just send it back and get the next game on your list. So head on over to fearscapepodcast.com forward slash Gamefly today and give it a try. All right, man. John Teeter, part John two. Teeter. Did you want to give a quick yeah, synopsis so, of part one, just right quick? So if anybody uh, listening uh, didn't le- listen to the previous episode uh, that, that talked initially about John Teeter, I highly encourage you to stop right now and go back and listen to the first yeah, episode. Yeah, this is not a live episode, so we'll still be here. Right. <laughs> so uh, go back and listen to that one first. But for those who did and, and may not recall or whatever, just... A real quick synopsis. So, um, in early 2000, um, in the year 2000, <laughs> um, copyrighted. Yeah. <laughs> um, in early 2000, a, uh, on a message board, uh, dealing with time travel for those people who are interested in time travel and the ideas behind it, um, an individual, uh, calling himself, uh, time traveler, uh, time travel underscore zero, uh, later identified as John Tidor appeared um, appeared started posting on this message board about all these things that you know about the time period that he was from uh, the world line that he was from how things were so dramatically different and basically in 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 the attempt to get us to change our ways to prevent what his future was from happening to us something that you know he explained is that um, if you think about, uh, I don't know, what's the, what was the, a, a cone? So at the point of the cone is where their, their, their world lines intersect. But as you move away from the cone and as the lines get bigger and bigger, that's the divergence of the world lines. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if, uh, he is able to move to a different world line that is close, close to the divergence of his world line. So, his world line is not necessarily our future, but our our two world lines are so close 
um, together as uh, how things have unfolded thus far, that it's it's a possibility mm-hmm. that our world line could become like his. And so he was trying to help us um, avoid a catastrophe. Yeah. So, you know, we, and again, I don't want to get too much into what we talked about last one. So that just gives you a little bit of information. If that um, entices you to go back and listen to the first, <laughs> to, to part one, I highly recommend it. So kind of where we left off um, when we, when we uh, ended the first uh, was basically, if you remember, uh, he posted and then uh, this woman named Pamela mm-hmm. uh, started interacting with him. And right. so she was asking him all sorts, all of, questions. sorts of questions, all the ones that I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. So she was asking him a lot of questions, even via email. They were com- conversing mm-hmm. back and forth in email. And then she would come on to the message board and drop like this big, long interview almost of her asking a question and him giving a response. Then certain people would ask follow up questions. A lot of skeptical people. You know, it's really interesting that this is a message board that's dedicated to people who are interested in time travel and believe that time travel is a possibility, yet someone comes on claiming to be a time traveler, and most of them are immediately saying, this must be a fraud, this must be fake. Have you been on paranormal (laughs) uh, boards, uh, Facebook groups? Because there are always those people that as soon as somebody says something somebody's calling them an idiot like they join these groups just to be dicks like i'm serious man because they're like people are like why are you this whole thing is about us sharing our stories and and right. having someone to believe and you're like i'm just gonna tell you right now your electrical uh your electrical's bad you yeah. need to stop smoking weed right <laughs> right know. it's like get off the board man I, I feel like as an admin you should just kick those people off the off the board mm-hmm. so if you know if you if you're not if you make more than three skeptical posts uh, a month, you get kicked off the board. Right now, if, if the post says, "What do you think this could be?" Right, that's yeah. different. <laughs> and if it's like a picture of lens flare, you know, <laughs> is this an orb? You yeah, know, I mean, you know, come on. but yeah. So, anyways, yeah. So last we were talking, he was getting into what they believed. I know we had talked about the uh, Ten Commandments uh, going back to the original, the original ten. ten. Yeah. So that so some point in time, somebody had added had added a couple on uh, to the Ten Commandments. Probably, um, uh, what's his name that does a 700 club? Uh, Pat Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Thou shalt pay me $10 a week. <laughs> Thou shalt not be anything that I hate or uh, natural disasters shall happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, basically, you know, one of the things, so Pamela starts asking him about, you know, what kind of jobs do people do um, in the in the future? And so he says that, you know, life is much more rural in the future, but high technology is used to communicate and travel. Right, because we talked about, uh, yeah, you talked about how after World War Three, people stopped relying on technology and kind of went back to, to a more community-based. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of like way. that show Revolution in in a lot of ways. How they just built, or even Walking Dead, like how they create these communities and they they start working together again. Well, what in, there was a show. Um, I can't. Oh my goodness, I can't think of the name of it. But it was basically somebody they built this machine that killed all electricity 
Yeah, revolution. Is that what it That's was? That's what I was talking okay. about. Okay, yeah. and then that that prompted a civil war, yep. and then all and it, this, it, yeah. it became an agricultural society yeah. again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a great show, and it got canceled. I yeah, know. On a cliffhanger. I'm so <laughs> freaking mad about that. So. so I can list you a lot of great sci-fi shows that have no endings for me. <laughs> <laughs> Too many to the point where I don't watch them now. I'm just like I wait to see if it gets. It's canceled. Gonna it's canceled. I do the same thing. <sighs> it's like uh, the last Stargate, Stargate Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved that show, and then it just like fell off yeah they just go bye yeah anyways um so he says that uh you know people raise a great deal of their own food and do more farm work uh compared to now we do look work long hours after the war my father made a living selling oranges up and down the west coast of florida my closest friend raises horses and another works for a company that maintains wireless internet nodes Hmm, so there's still internet yeah. Interesting. Uh, he said, you know, so Pamela says, you know, what is, t- what is a typical day like for someone in your time? Do you still have the internet? Uh, has it advanced to the virtual reality yet? What type of diseases are you dealing with? Are there advances in science? Interesting. Let's talk about that because this was early 2000s, right? And it's like we still haven't advanced to full virtual reality right. yet. Like, yeah. it's, it, it got hot there for like a minute, but it's already started petering off. Actually, you know, I, augmented reality starting to get a little more hot. I mean, think about it. In, in, um, in, in the early 2000s, our VR was probably limited to like flight simulators on the computer. Yeah. And maybe the Wii. Maybe, yeah. Wii might have been around that time. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, so he says, well, basically a typical day, uh, life has changed so much over my lifetime that it's hard to bend down a normal day. When I was 13, I was a soldier. Jesus, 13 years old. As a teenager, I helped my dad haul cargo. That reminds me, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like, that's weird for me to 13. So I'm doing a lot of ancestry stuff right now. Yep. And I went back to my great, great grandfather, uh, on my grandmother's side and it had his, uh, draft card for world war two. Mm-hmm. He was 67. He still had to sign up for the draft yeah. at 67 years old for yep. world war two. Now, it was a specific card. It even says born between these dates. So yeah. I'm sure they, like, it was like a last ditch right. effort, I'm sure, but it still just blew my mind to think that a 67 year old could have been sent to the front. Yeah. Shoo! And now here, you got a 13 year old, right? Right. So, you know, he says that uh, he went to college when he was 31 and he was recruited to time travel shortly after that. Um,. He said, I just got recruited to pay my loans off. (laughs) (laughs) He said, an average day in 2036 is like an average day on the farm. So so for anybody who's never worked on a farm, you probably have no context. But um, and I and I will say it is convenient that his future is different than ours because you know like here we are in 2000 now like someone looking at this 20 years later, you know we see how technology has progressed. And no matter what he says, if it's different than ours, it doesn't matter because he's in a different future. So right. it's like, ah, man, because I want to be able to prove it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's so, so yes, and that's, and I think that's where for a lot of people, that's, they'll look at this and say, well, obviously it must have been a fraud because none of this stuff unfolded this way. 
but again, I mean, he starts in the very beginning saying, you know, they're different world lines, and so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. If it, if it, it convenient was, for a skeptic. But, I mean, it, again, I mean, he would almost have to, he would almost have to write this entire um, story, if you will, understanding that he must lead first with the world line explanation before he gets into the details to set up his audience to understand that they, you know, I mean, it just, it seems like it's, I don't know. It just seems too much preparation work would be required. Yeah. Um, and, and the fluidity in which the conversation flows, I don't know. It just seems, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I am skeptical of the skeptics. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, she says, is there still a post office? How do you receive messages from one another? Um, he said, yep, there's a post office. The Internet is still alive and well in the future. People spend more time talking because life is more centered around the community. I've noticed the same type of effect here when the power goes off. People tend to come out of their homes and actually spend time with their neighbors. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, you look at now how it's even gotten more computer focused because it's in our hands now. Right. Well, and with the whole lockdown and everything, we're just right. We we saw people right. coming together, and it's like it's just yeah. in a, in a new way. In right. A new way. Right. Um, you know, uh, Pamela again asks, you know, what type of housing do you live in? He, this is where it gets really interesting. He said, when I'm with my parents, I live in a community made up of tree houses. Dude lives in Kashik. <laughs> Uh, on a large river in Florida. The river floods sometimes and we have access to the Gulf. Most of our neighbors make a living off the sea or moving cargo by boat. Hmm. Uh, Pamela asks, what started the war and who fought in it? Who won? What, con- what countries were destroyed and what survived? Now, this is where it gets really into the, the war aspect. Good. So, I'm really interested in this, especially I've uh, been watching Man in the High Castle. Yeah. So talking about an alternate history. <laughs> so, you know, he says that um, there's a civil war in the United States that starts in 2005. That conflict flares up and down for 10 years. In 2015, Russia launches a <laughs> nuclear strike against the major cities in the United States. And then he says in parents here, which is the other side of the civil war from my perspective, China and Europe, the United States counterattacks. The U S cities are destroyed along with the AFE, which he says is the American federal empire. <laughs> uh, thus we in the country won. the European union and China were also destroyed. Wow. Russia is now our largest trading partner. And the capital of the U.S. was moved to Omaha, Nebraska. Ooh. You know, and looking at where we are with Russia right now, like, that's kind of spooky. Back then, no, because yeah. we were totes super cool with Russia. But right. it's like right now there's so much tension, especially with China, too. It's like, man, that's crazy. You know, so <laughs> I think this is really interesting. It's like, so all this stuff is around, like, what's it going to, you know, what's it like in the future? And, all, and, and then Pamela says, hey, did you ever find out what aliens and UFOs are? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because if, if he's a different, you know, if that, that Earth is a different timeline. The universe is a different timeline right. as well. So, good Lord, I didn't even think about that. Big Bang could have happened at a different point. Yeah. 
So he says, no, no new information there. I find that very interesting subject myself. Personally, I think UFOs might be time travelers with very sophisticated distortion units, but that might be a bit wacky. Yeah, I mean, that's a concept we've had before. I mean, we've talked about that indeed, yep. that it could be time travelers and, and able to just mask themselves. So she's, you know, she goes on to say, what type of environmental problems do you know that exist? Do you have pure water to drink? Are you mostly vegetarian? Seems like how most people are going that way today. He says, one of the biggest reasons why food production is localized is because the environment is so screwed up with disease and radiation. Oh, yeah, with all the nuclear. Yep. God, I didn't think about that. Uh, we are making huge strides in getting it cleaned up. Water is produced on a community level, and we do eat meat that we raise ourselves. There was a book that we had to read in school. Z for Zachariah. No. <laughs> uh, I think it's called, like, On the Beach or something yeah. along those lines, where in the northern hemisphere, the United States and the USSR had a huge nuclear war. The submarine is going around, and yeah. It's yeah, and so, beach. and they're waiting because the way the cycles yep. work, they're waiting for the radiation to catch and then hit the southern hemisphere. Yeah, they're trying to make their way to Australia. Yeah. Where it's supposed to be safe. There's a great movie uh, that they made. Yeah. Actually made two movies of it. The black and white is really good. Yeah. Yeah. But they like they get off in like uh, Los Angeles or something. And uh, guys wearing like a radiation suit. He's walking around. Yeah. And it's just really it's very eerie. And even then, even in Australia, they're just waiting for the yeah. radiation to hit. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I mean, it's like I think about that and I'm like, oh, well, that didn't happen here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God it just like just stuck where it was. But um did you ever read the book Z for Zachariah? Uh-uh. So we were, that was required reading for us and, uh, freshmen in high school. And it's a, um, a, a, there's a nuclear war. A girl is living in a valley that's untouched. So like it's somehow the prevailing winds around the valley keep the valley from being touched by the radiation. She's living there by herself. All of a sudden one day a stranger comes in, like pulling a wagon wearing a radiation shoot, suit. She like goes up and hides in the mountains, and you know, I don't want to give the book away if like, somebody wants to read it. But the bottom line is, at the, at the it, it's kind of the same thing is that people are just kind of roaming around, um, and so you you actually find out towards the end of the book that it, that that's what it is. It's like there was this big nuclear holocaust type thing, mm, and interesting. And she's one of the last remaining people to find that's what's crazy. out there. So, so anyways. Um, it says, uh, are they still messing around with genetics and altering food? Yes, genetic engineering is used, but it's like any other technology. It can be good and bad. One thing we did not do was create more hybrid seeds. What are people thinking? <laughs> and I found that funny because I went to buy, so I recently planted a, a raised garden bed. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to buy um, a plants and stuff to you know seeds and stuff to put in it and when i was buying tomatoes the number of hybrid tomato species there are like there's one tomato species that you can get tomatoes off the vine when it's already been frost like there's already been frost they're still growing tomatoes because they've made a hybrid plant that can withstand frost that's crazy <laughs> Um, she says, you know, uh, what do you believe about life after death? I find this very interesting. He says, I am a Christian agnostic. Okay. 
He says, I do not believe faith alone is enough to get us back to God. I'm not sure what happens when we die, but I'm pretty sure it's not a walk in the park. Sheesh. <laughs> um, do you have advances in space travel or exploration? No, but we are working on it. So it was, it's interesting. In his timeline, time travel was more important than space than travel. Space travel, yeah. Uh, you know, um, for us, it's it's capitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if there was a market for uh, for IBM computers in his in his time, they'd be spending more people going back to get more IBM, you know, computers. But yeah. it it makes me uh, the well, you probably need the the, the close divergence because, man, I mean, who? God, could you imagine like your timeline doesn't have computers, right? And you're like, you could go that and just get the patent for IBM and become a bazillionaire. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd have to also go to a timeline where it was invented before the time that you're in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And how would you travel in time without a computer? I'm just, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I only used IBM because you referenced it. Jesus, it's one of those biomechanical. It's all made out of <laughs> yeah, veins and veins stuff. and octopus. <laughs> um, it says, uh, "What brings you the greatest joy on earth?" Um, he says, "I like this question." Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it got delightful. Yeah. My uh, greatest joy is sailing. For fun, I enjoy swimming, playing cards, reading, playing games on the net, and talking with people who live in other countries. As a community, we celebrate much more and have bonfires and dances. My hobby is sorting through old magazines and videos of life before the war. I, I would definitely be that same type of person. I would absolutely be that way. Um, she goes on to say, you know, what are your schools and universities like? He says, after the war, near early new communities gathered around the current universities. That's where the libraries were. I went to school at Fort UF, which is now called the University of Florida. Not too much is different, except the military is a large part of people's life, and we spend a great deal of time in the fields and farms at the university or fort. Hmm, interesting. Um, let's see. She asked him what was his fondest memories about growing up, and he says they're not fond. Life was hard. Yeah, because I mean, he grew up mid during all of that, so it's like it's weird to have this uh, piece of him. Uh, uh, you know, in a lot for some of us, it's it's like having to live through nine eleven, like what life was like before nine yeah. eleven, um, which is why millennials really struggle. They talk about because they were kids when 9-11 yeah. hit and it was really different for them um, because we were older we could process you know yeah. but like my little brother I mean he that's all he wanted was to be in the military like growing well, up I mean, because it, of that I mean there was a lot of yes there was a lot of surge of uh, patriotism after 9-11 much like a big surge of patriotism after uh, Pearl Harbor yeah yeah so the, I, I guess the same are probably you know comparable to that generation who were kids when Pearl Harbor happened, yeah, you know, you talk about your great uh, grandfather, whatever, having the draft card and everything, and the fact that they, they made him get a draft card. I would imagine that he probably wanted to go fight. 
Probably. I, I haven't checked yet, but I'm like, he probably fought in World War One. Yeah. I mean, he would have, well, no, he probably would have been in his 40s, so yeah. who knows? I don't who know. Who knows, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, just the, the overall. But yeah, they wanted to. I yeah. mean, so many people weren't drafted because people right. just wanted to. Right. These boys, you know, all that propaganda that was going on and, yep. and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, I can imagine that for, for, for Mr. Titor over here, uh, when the Civil War broke out and everything, he probably, you know, he, he wanted to do his part, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, I mean, she was thirteen. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Pamela asked him, um, "Do you still have telephones? What is the major source of energy that you use? Solar, you know, whatever." He says, "Yes, we have phones, but the service is through the web." So, voiceover, so like, voiceover, phonics or whatever that one is. Uh, it's called VoIP. VoIP. Well, I'm talking about the brand. Uh, remember those commercials? Do you remember? <laughs> you talking about the little uh, like USB looking stick thing you can plug into your computer? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. It was called. called like Vonix or something, something like yeah. that. I don't know. But um, like Billy Mays was all about it. Yeah. Um. So he just says that yes, we have phones. The services through the web. Most power generation is localized. It amazes me how much power is wasted now. Uh, solar is big. There is thought that a singularity generator could also be used, but most people are against it. So kind of like the same stuff they use for, for time, time travel, travel yeah. right? The singularity. Oh, that's interesting, man. Oh, that's great. It just, but it is hmm. scary when you think about, you know, when they, I remember when they turned on the Hedron Collider in, mm-hmm. in the Swiss Alps. And that was like everybody's fear was that it was going to open a black hole and swallow yeah. the earth. Well, and there's still theorists that believe that it that it did that a lot of things did happen because of that. Hmm. So, so there are tons of people that believe that the Mandela effect um, happened because of that. That is what split the dimensions. That is when those things happen. Uh, I was talking to Brad the other day, and Brad was talking about he knew who John Teeter was, and he was talking about that there are a lot of people that uh, believe. He, his time traveling is what set off the Mandela effect as well. Huh. Interesting. So, so um, you know, she says, you know, how do you, what, uh, do people wear, <laughs> again, some of the questions that she asked, she asked about like, you know, how do you take care of your elderly? What's the type of dress? Do people wear their hair differently? Just can, do y'all use soap? Yeah. All these trivial type things, but just really interesting that she thought to ask these questions. Yeah. And that he has answers for them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's just basically goes on to say that the elderly are highly revered. Uh, they everyone pulled together to keep the community strong. Uh, the dress styles are whatever. It changes all the time. Um, and then he, he says something here. He's like, why do people in this timeline wear shorts for church? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and same thing with hair, you know, hairstyles, everything is constantly changing. Um, he says we don't spend nearly the amount of time on our hair as people do now. Women like to wear their hair longer and men have it much shorter. Both sexes shave it all off when they're in active military service. So a GI Jane. Yeah. Uh, says, you know, she asked about medical treatment. He says far less medical treatments in the future, even though it's more advanced. People die when they know it's time to die. I don't really, so I guess you just, they don't use science to expand their, to extend their life is basically I think what he's saying there. Okay. Um, so if you, uh, if you have, if you get 
stomach cancer, you're just like, nah, no radiation, I'm good, I'm just gonna... Well, he does say that genetic medicine and cloning organs are obvious new techs oh, in the future. Oh, now that... Yeah, if we could clone organs, yeah, that you wouldn't be on a waiting list, right. which we well, technically can right now. When you wouldn't have to, like, you know, a lot of people get, um, you know, pig valves and things mm-hmm. like that, because it's the closest in, yeah. in, in design. So if you could grow a heart... I mean, they're, they're doing it now. I mean, they, you know, they're, they've been able to do different, like they've cloned that ear and different things like that. Um, and then you've got the, uh, they're talking about being able to 3d print organs as well. Hmm. Like that's the thing I saw they were working on. Interesting. I did see something about, uh, they 3d printed a heart so that, um, Maybe it was a show. I don't know. I was thinking that somebody pre- 3D printed a heart so that somebody could see a defect on the heart to understand how to work on it. But that might have been a TV show. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, it's it's cool. Cool idea. Anyways. Um, do you have our current form of government, presidents and vice presidents? He says, no. The Constitution was changed after the war. We have five presidents that are voted in and out on different term periods. The vice president is the president of the Senate, and they are voted separately. See, I've always thought that. that, I don't know. Didn't our country used to be like that if you lost the presidential race, you became vice president? Or did I make that up? I don't recall that being... But there's a part of me that wishes that was the case. Then you, you talk about keeping things bipartisan? Yeah. There you go. Right. So, like in in the in the current administration, so if, if Trump and who if, if it turns out to be Biden are running against each other, whoever gets elected, the one who loses becomes mm-hmm. the VP. Yeah, probably a lot of fights and probably a lot of assassinations because <laughs> they'd be like, oh, we can finally get Trump up there or whoever, right? Or whatever. So, um, hmm. uh, he, she says, "How do you get from place to place uh, without any cars around? Do you teleport?" Uh, he says we have cars, just not a whole bunch of them. This is there is public transportation from city to city. Oh, they probably actually have a good rail system, like we used to have and now don't have. Well, th- I was thinking about that. So, um, if a lot of the country is soaked in radiation, I wonder what that must be like to travel from city to city. You you, you know you'd have to almost. Yeah. Has some kind of protection. They, they talk a lot about that in Man in uh, the Man in the High Tower because the middle of America along the Rockies was nuked and, by the Germans, and yeah. so it is. There's still a lot of radiation, and it's it's called no man's land. Yeah, and yeah, they they like. I, I think I might be making this up, but I feel like they had to raise these shields on the train when they went yeah. through and things like that. So, so yeah, that it says you know without going into detail. What are you here specifically for? Can you explain the primary purpose of time travel? He says, In 2036, a great deal of effort is going into repairing our environment. I was sent to 1975 to get a computer system and take it back to 2036. Time travel is not a secret in 2036, and I expect it will become more common. So then it's not a secret government uh, no. thing. I think we had mentioned that last week. Um, so it is. It's, it's, it's essentially like the Space Force yeah, or the Navy. Or like Air a, Force right, or whatever. We, it's, just, it's Time Force. Time Force. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, he, you know, they, 
so one of the other questions is why is it used and how often to your knowledge is it used? He says right now it's used to get information or items that would be helpful in getting a post world war three world back to normal condition. There are seven other time travelers in my unit. Hmm. Okay. So there, and I'm sure there's more than one, one unit. unit and I'm sure there's more than one country that can do it as well. Yeah. Although, you know, you heard him say that China and the European union are gone, gone. Yeah. So, um, it's amazing because you would have thought that after a, such a devastation like that, that the world would have become one, one singular government, but it didn't. Yeah. Well, probably geographical reasons for that. Sure. Um, are there specific time periods that time travelers go to the most? Right now, most of our practical missions are from 1960 to 1980. There is a great deal of research into later and future periods, but the farther you go, the lower the divergence confidence of the world line. Right, right. So, yeah, 1960 and forward, really, because they hang around for a while. Right. So it says, what kind of car are you going back in since you sold the Chevy? So you remember he came here in in, in 67, 70. So so he says he's going back in a 1987 four-wheel drive. The the vehicle needs a strong suspension system to handle the weight of the distortion unit. Interesting. So I wonder if that would keep him... Well, I mean, you could probably still find older vehicles in our timeline. Like, yeah. if he were to come to 2020, for example. Yeah, you could still find an yeah. older one. Uh, you know, what if that's all the cars they had were just ones that they drove back and the time travelers drove back in? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it makes me, it makes you wonder, though, if, if, if they have to have a starting car, right, in 2036 mm-hmm. that is able to support the weight and all that kind of stuff, like, how many of those are still around after a Civil War and a World War Three? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm like, I, I just have this picture of uh, Doc Brown hiding the DeLorean in a cave. <laughs> you know, because, yeah, it's like their starting vehicle. Yeah, it's like, what are they using? I mean, it's like. Well, yeah, well, he, I mean, he says that he, he, he went back to 1975 in a 1967 Chevy. Right, but it's like, what? It, where did they get a 1967 yeah, Chevy? exactly. Did another team bring it back right. from wherever they went? But you know? the chicken or the egg had to happen eventually, right. like, first. Right. So it's, <laughs> that's how they justify it. It's like, well, we had this 87 Chevy here, so uh, we're going to go back to 1987. See if you can find an older one so we can go back further. <laughs> Makes you wonder if uh, any of these, like, really exotic-looking concept cars Ooh. actually come from the future. That's... I like that. I like that. That's. I mean, that's where Elon Musk came from. <laughs> <laughs> so it says that, um, you know, they ask him, like, if you change the vehicle, do you have to recalibrate the unit? He said, yes, but the VGL system does a lot of that for us. Um, you know, what kind of coils, coils are used to contain the singularity? He says, I'm not a physicist. I can't answer that to your level of sophistication. I love that. Uh, the singularities are held in an enclosed magnetic field. Uh, can your unit also dimensionally travel? He says no. However, the longer the unit is on past the safe divergence confidence, the stranger the world line becomes. The unit I have is safe to about 1% for every 60 years at max power. It's interesting how on one hand he refers to it as a dimension, and then on another hand he refers to it as a world line. And he seems to 
sometimes differentiate. Well, so I think that what the question that was just asked is, can you travel interdimensionally? Mm-hmm. He says no. So that would indicate that they are aware of di- other dimensions. They just can't travel to them. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't another world line another dimension? Maybe not. But, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I was getting at. It's so, like our idea of dimensions. Well, what if it's the... So thinking a little bit about the multiverse. <clears throat> if each world line... Let's say that there are five dimensions just for discussion's sake this plane that we that we exist in is one of the five a different world line is still just one of the five just along another timeline okay right that's that's what i was saying so my idea of different dimensions has always been a dc comics marvel comics type thing where it's this happened different in this world this happened different in the world that makes it a different dimension but a different dimension could just literally be something completely different. different. Yep. Hands down. Right. No, no universe. It, right. It could be just light. It's maybe the difference between like oil and water. Right. 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 Yeah. So in this world line, we're water and another world line, we're water and another world line, we're water, but there's still oil, oil, oil in each one of those right. things. Right. Yeah. My, I can't, my brain hurts. <laughs> um, so he, you know, somebody asked him, uh, can you have you ever considered the possible adverse consequences the person might face that you had post them and since you remain covert or don't you care since it's not your world line <laughs> what about the people that read the information and attempt to build one what if they get injured in the process because they're not knowledgeable enough to handle the forces that are playing with at this time he comes back and says yes I have considered it but it is very easy to remain hidden behind a veil of disbelief. <laughs> the people who understand what they are seeing are not aggressive. Everyone else just finds them entertaining. The obvious first answer is that the only world line of consequence is my own, and I don't care what happens there. Excuse me, what happens here? That, however, is not the case. I have shown these documents in order that people might consider the possibility. I do not expect people to believe them. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is he, I don't believe he has explained how to get the singularity. So without the singularity, right. it I mean, doesn't matter. So what, so what he's referring to there is, and I mentioned it in last week's episode, is he shared some, some pages out of the operator's right. manual. Okay. When you uh, buy a new car and it comes with an owner's manual, if you read that from front to cover or from cover to back, it does not tell you how to build a car. No, no, it does not. It tells you how to operate a car. Mm-hmm. So the same would be true. An owner's manual for a time machine would not tell you how to build a time machine. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a textbook or a how-to. Right. You know, it's not a DIY guide. <laughs> um, Ain't YouTube. Let's see here. Oh, so he gets, actually gets into this a little bit. He says, somebody asked him, what is the true purpose of posting assumingly restricted government documents on a public bulletin board where everyone can see it? He says, the restricted nature of the documents I posted refers to the departmentalized nature of the technical information. The manual is supposed to remain with the unit. The current F-16 fighter jet probably has an operations manual. All the information is in it is not secret, but no one wants it to walk away from the plane. Right. 
And again, not his world line. Right. Uh, did your unit commander authorize such a thing, or is this something you decided to do completely on your own? He says, I am here for personal reasons. For a few months now, I have been trying to alert anyone that would listen to the possibility of a civil war in the United States in 2005. Does that seem more likely now? Actually, it's quite amazing to see what's happening. I have been trying to get people to pay attention for the last few months, but to see it unfold is very interesting. Before I leave, I'll try to post my report. I mean, you think about 2005, that's right after Bush won the second election, and he was hated so much. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I could see it with the tensions of, of the war in Iraq yep. and just yep. everything. I mean, that's, that's around the time where you got the shoe. Yeah, he got the shoe, and that's around the time that, um, uh, what's the Iraqi guy? Uh, Saddam, Saddam Hussein. Hussein. I think yeah. that's around the time he got executed, right? Yep, I think so. Oh. Um, he says, he goes on to say, I am curious, will anyone be upset if Florida's votes are not counted? Because this is, I guess, around the time, like you say. Of, yeah, that, well, right. we said 2000, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's when they were trying to figure out if it was Bush or Gore. Right. <laughs> um, somebody asked him if he's considered his action and a probable outcome carefully. He just says yes. Um, so then he goes into a little bit about his trip and how it occurred. So this is. Um, the first leg of my trip was from 2036 to 1975. After two VGL checks, the divergence was estimated at about 2.5% from my 2036. I was sent to get an IBM computer system called the 5100. I looked it up. It's a big honking system. Mm -hmm. Um it was one of the first portable computers made, and it has the ability to read the older IBM programming languages in addition to APL and BASIC. We need the system to debug various legacy computer programs in 2036. Unix has a problem in 2038. Hmm. So they've already traveled into the future to find out to know that they're going to have issues. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. So they travel into the future. It's like, oh, crap. We need something that's going to help with this. Let's go back in time and get it. Yep. Um, he says, somebody asked him, how do you overcome the problem of housing, food, jobs, social security number, tax papers, so on and so forth? He says, I'm currently living with my parents on this world line. They know exactly who I am and how I got here. Right. One of the videos that I started to watch, it opened with that, that he showed up at his parents in this line and said, hey, I'm your son from the future. And they right. were like, okay, come on and <laughs> live with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he says, you know, so we're getting back in now to Pamela asking some questions and him giving some answers. Um. So, Pamela asked, what exactly would an observer see as they saw you arriving in this time? And exactly what would they see as you departed? Would you just appear suddenly or slowly? Would you look like a heat mirage for a while? Any light effects? Hazy, misty, shimmering? He says, and this is a long piece, so pardon me. The observation of time travelers appearing suddenly in a world line does not happen very often. There are two cases and two points of view to consider. 
In the first case, the time machine does not move as it goes from one world line to another and then returns. The people watching on the original world line would have would wave goodbye and watch as the machine is turned on. There would be a static discharge and the air would appear to ripple as if it were getting denser. Then it would stop and the machine will have appeared to have gone nowhere. If the machine doesn't move its position from world line to world line, the observer would not see it disappear at all. In the second case, if the machine is moved, it would, it would disappear from the viewpoint of the observer and return in a different location based on where it was moved and turned on from the destination world line. In that case, the rippling seems to dissolve the machine as it disappears. If that happens, while you're watching it leave and you expect it to return, you know it was moved or had a serious malfunction. It is actually quite dangerous to get too close to a distortion unit as it enters or leaves a world line. It vents radiation and has a very strong localized gravity field. Personally, I worry about it a great deal. Well, yeah, especially with all the radiation problems they have. Yeah. It's interesting that they have machines that release radiation. Well, something else, and I, I think about this the other day. Um, ever since, really ever since World War II and all the testing that was done, everybody has a little bit of radioactivity in them at all times. So for this person's life, you know, world line and their generations beyond, I would imagine they would have a much higher level mm -hmm. of that personal radiation in their body. For sure. Well, and then too, it's like, how do they, how, how do they force field essentially the person in the vehicle from the radiation? Right. You know, since they're yeah. right on it, like how, how are they, or are they only limited to like 15 trips because that's all right. the radiation their body can handle? Yeah. That's a question I would ask Pamela. <laughs> the um, I, I once knew a guy. I worked with a guy who um, who cleaned the inside of nuclear reactors. Oh, like the dude in Dyatlov Pass. <laughs> so yeah, he would. Uh, he said he would. They would lower him down uh, inside, and they would like scrub the inside of the of the reactor. He could only be in there for like fifteen to twenty minutes at a time. They'd have to cycle crews in and out twenty minutes at a time to clean the entire reactor. Jeez, have you watched Chernobyl yet? No. I highly recommend that, the HBO miniseries. Jeez, yeah. they talk about that too, man. And how they just didn't know, and so they were sending in people. You know, oh, no, no, they'll be fine, they'll yeah. be fine. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And how do you get that job, by the way? Like, to, hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, Bob, uh, we got an opening down at the uh, nuclear power plant. <laughs> we need a guy to scrub the inside. <laughs> well, what's funny is this guy that I worked with, um, he would work for, he would do a job maybe like two or three months out of the year, and then he would have another job outside of that. But he said the pay was excellent. Oh, it have to be. Yeah. The hazard pay had to yeah. be insane. So. Mm. Um, he's, uh, Pamela asked him, if they put a device in the house and turned it on, what do you think would happen? Yeah, would like a bubble the shape of a car, <laughs> yeah. like everything of that just goes? Uh, he said it might not be destructive as you think. Depending on how close any object is to the field, it might not do any damage at all except for the floor. 
Uh, she said, what would happen if a bird or a small animal... <laughs> Hold on, I want to go back, because it, what it reminds me of is Terminator. Yeah. Right? Like, the the, the yeah. time bubble, and yeah. it just... <laughs> yep. Anyways, go ahead. So she says, you know, what happens if a bird or a small animal happens to run across the field? This is, we're getting into the fly now. <laughs> uh, he says, it would be quickly spread out over the lateral length of the gravity field. Imagine being squished and stretched at the same time. With silly putty. <laughs> uh, I would imagine anything left after that would be vaporized and generate static electricity. So it would almost have to fly in at, a, and at an exact moment before it hits. Yeah, to be caught up in the bubble. Right. Um, so Pamela asks, how hot would you say the temperature gets on the outside of the car while in operation? To me, this question right here is straight back to Back to the Future when the DeLorean comes back and, you know, like Doc Brown grabs mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, and he's like, is it hot? It's cold. You know, it's, it's like covered in ice. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a straight out of that question. So uh, he says it's very hot, depending on the power setting, 100 to 120 degrees in average. Mm. Uh, has the device been tested on ships and airplanes? Ah, good question. Uh, not that I am aware of. It's important that uh, that it remain as still as possible so the gravity sensors ah. can get a good lock. The divergence confidence would be way off if the vehicle was moving. Well, since it just sits in place, just make it a lazy boy or recliner, man. <laughs> you know, or like a, a Mobius chair or something well, how, like that. You know, how can it vent the radiation? Well, make it a Mobius chair. You know, you got you got <laughs> vents in the... It's a big-ass throne, you know, like... Then you, you don't have to go, oh, I need a throne from 67. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says, do you wear special uniforms when you time travel? Uh, obviously. You know, that's kind of, you know, it's a military unit. I'm sure they have special uniforms. I don't know. I mean, if you're going back in time, you're probably wearing clothes from that century. Or, I mean, uh, that decade. Well, he says, I wear standard civilian service uniform during instruction and training. It's sort of a cross between an army uniform and overalls. We do have a quartermaster who distributes clothing appropriate to wherever we are going. Boom! There is a patch. It is round and has a graphic of a care singularity, which the, the you can find pictures of the patch online. Um, sort of looks like an eye with the gravity waves around it. He actually uh, like took a picture of his patch and sent it to, to Pamela. That's where, that's where it came from. Um, one path represents the safe way, and the other path is to God. So, <laughs> oh Lord! Um, <laughs> the bottom of the patch has my unit number along with the temporal recon printed on it. However, we remove any identification of patches before we go anywhere. Okay, yeah, I pulled it up. I, I recognize this. Did, did did he say what the name of the unit is called? Has he said that yet? Yeah, temporal recon. <laughs> temporal recon, and is it under the army, the navy, or is it its own? thing do we know he doesn't say he said he was recruited uh after college and it is operated by the military but he it just said military yeah yeah you can buy uh that people made the patches you can get them on etsy <laughs> it's pretty cool um it says tempest edax rerum i don't know what it means well it's probably latin for yeah well, tempest is time so yeah yeah because i like <laughs> Tempest Fugit. Yeah. Do yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. that means? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you really know what it means? Yeah, time fire. Oh. I don't know what that 
Time flies. Oh, time flies. Yep. I tried. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's next? Tried poorly. <laughs> you chose poorly. Um, so uh, she asks if there are any social prejudices uh, in his timeline. He says, yes, there are. However, as odd as it may sound, it serves a useful purpose in my time. First, you must realize that your experience with prejudice and mine are different. Yeah, I'm sure. I would characterize the intolerance you have here as a result of ignorance and fear. I have observed that people with unfounded and irrational fears about their fellow man in this time have the luxury of not having their beliefs tested. After the war, much of the prejudice you have now was swept away by simple necessity. People had to work and fight together just to survive. This was a way of opening a person's eyes as to the value of fellow human beings. Hmm. So, by the way, Tempest, Edax, uh, Rerum translates to time is the devourer of all things. Huh. It's like the movie The Langoliers. Oh, I love that. That's, that's good. That's good. Balky Bartokibus. Yep. Balky. Um, he's, he goes on to say that what difference does the color of a man's skin make when you are both fighting against the same inner enemy to survive or find water or grow food? Yeah, you'd be surprised, but they were still, <laughs> yeah. still had issues in most of the wars previous. He says, on my world line, if a man doesn't pull his weight in the community, then we feel prejudice towards him as he is a burden to us. Ah, uh, so he's a moot, not a moocher, but a, yeah. Yeah. This feeling of shame he experiences then makes him realize his responsibilities. We're going to shame you into uh, doing your laundry <laughs> for the community. Yeah. Uh, she asks, what is the healthcare system like? Uh, you would probably not like it at all. I would compare it to what you see in Western movies. Oh, God. We do have hospitals, but they are more for family doctors and house calls as compared to what you are used to. There is no real organized health care. If you get a serious disease, you die. Oh, Jesus. This, however, has had a tendency to strengthen the general genetic pool. Doctors are more concerned about things like broken legs, snake bites, and delivering healthy babies. Yeah, I mean, and he had said, you know, about the organs being cloned and things like that, so... So, the last little bit of information that I'll, that I'll share um, is that and I found this very interesting. She asks, what is the entertainment industry like? Uh, he says, entertainment is less centralized. There are movies and TV, but everything is distributed over the net, and more people produce their own shows. Oh, wow. So that's so like he, YouTube. He predicted YouTube. Interesting. When did YouTube become a thing? I mean, it's been around for several years. It has. And it might have even been a thing back in 2000, but I don't think it would have been what it is today. Mm -mm. So, I mean, again, I trimmed way down on um, what I found for John. YouTube was created in 2005. So before this all took place. Yep. He predicted YouTube. Interesting. <laughs> That's crazy. So, um, and really, I mean, what we're doing now. He predicted, you know, he, he said, yeah, that, I mean, there was no podcast right then. So, I mean, so, it was like, you know, some guy who had a transistor in his mom's basement right. was, that could get like his neighborhood could do right. a radio show, but right. that was like it. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I trimmed it way down. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there are we, – we could – honestly, we could – if we did seasons, we could probably do an entire season on all the stuff that John Teeter said. Oh, yeah, I, I am so interested in him. And, and I will tell you, hey, everybody out there that has done podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff on John Teeter, stop using the stupid image of the guy that's wearing sunglasses and looks like a hipster that's supposed to be like a time traveler. It's not John Teeter. Like, but they all use that picture – and so it makes, like, somebody that's not familiar with time travel evidence that's out there and stuff yeah. think that that guy's John Teeter. And I'm like, they literally, I mean, probably 95% of the people out there that are doing YouTube videos and podcasts have used that image. I wonder, you know, you can do an image search on Google. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you were to grab the image and do an image search, if it would come back as, like, a stock photo. Oh, I know, I know. But yeah, I mean, I just looked at, I just hit John Teeter and that came up so much. And I was like, I'm familiar with that. And it is not John Teeter. (laughs) I just, first of all, it's like set in like the thirties. Like that's the whole thing. It's like thirties or forties. Right. Um, So he can't go back that far. It's like, have you done your research people? Yeah. Soapbox stepping off. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I man, I am obsessed with John Teeter. I want. I saw that there's a book that somebody wrote. I don't know if it was Pamela or whomever. I didn't get a chance yeah. to really, really look. But I'd like to get that and just really read some more into into him. But I, I was kind of shocked at the lack of official documentaries on John Teeter. Yeah. Like uh, usually, if I hit up Amazon and and say a name, it'll even show up like Unsolved Mysteries episodes or. Uh, if it's a part of any larger episode, but nothing. I mean, there was nothing. So a couple of things that I that I wanted to call out that I didn't really talk about yet, but I think it's interesting. So uh, really three things. One, the account that he used on the message board went dormant in May 2001 and hasn't been used since. Hmm. And that's when he said he was going to leave in the spring of 2001. Wow. Um, two, he said he lived with his parents and when he lived with his parents here in this world line, he himself was a child Yeah, and his child, his himself, whatever treated him like an uncle. Yeah. So I went and looked because I have ancestry and I went and looked and did a search for, uh, cause he gives the year he was born. So I did a search for John Teeter born mm-hmm. in 1998. There was no John Teeter born in 1998. However, we also don't really know. The official spelling of his name and nor do we know if that is his name some of the uh, rumors that i saw was that he was using that as like an anagram for time travel of some sort um that that's what titor um yeah i also uh thought an anagram and so i I went out to an anagram anagram builder put in john teeter to see if it came back with anything i couldn't get anything definitive out of it but you know it doesn't mean who knows so and then the last thing that i'll say is um Supposedly, a private investigator did an investigation of the whole thing and came to the conclusion um, that a guy, or excuse me, uh, yeah, a gentleman who writes fictional books made the whole thing up and went on. I went on these message boards and just did all this just to do whatever. But I feel like if a guy writes fictional books, did all of this. 
he would have come out and said, "Hey, look, you believed all this. Read my fictional books." Right. You know what I'm saying? He would have, he would have claimed it. Yeah, it's like where does he have other books? Like, why would he waste it on a message board? Right. Well, I mean, then again, people put creepypasta on Reddit and it ends up getting used because it's free because it's on Reddit. So right. I don't know. But I mean, it just. I mean, if he did they, I mean, do they name the guy? Say who he is? Like, you know? Yeah. So it's if you look it up, it's on. Uh, there's a Wikipedia page for John Teeter, and, right. and it gives the name for the guy who supposedly uh, uh, did the whole thing. I found also some people, I think, on Reddit talking about it, um, saying that it was a group of um, engineering students at college. That were just making it all up, and and they would they would have the understanding to be able to say these things. Yeah, so. no, because there's too many incons or there's too many consistencies for a group to be individually right. doing yeah. things. So, um, yeah, it, again, it's just really, uh, really, for lack of a better term, plausible uh, because of the level of detail that he gives, because of the the way that he. Uh, uh, drafts, not drafts, not uh, assembles his his responses uh, is more conversational than I'm going to read something I had prepared and provide it to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, my my two cents is that uh, John Teeter probably is from the future, and he probably did come back and try to warn us, and maybe whatever he tried to do was effective. Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is, I mean, his explanation, the way that it sits, means that we won't have that kind of proof, you know, because he does come from a different right. world line. So we were just, our world line was so close to his that we had the possibility of it mm -hmm. turning out the same way. And he was trying to prevent that from happening. Yep. I don't know. You know, and this is not the first instance of a, uh, air quotes here, time traveler trying to let the media or other people know about it. There, There's one where uh, a time traveler um, had hit up a newscaster and, and told them, hey, you know, come I, and begged them, hey, I've, I have information I want to tell you or whatever. Um, it's been a while since I've looked it up, um, you know, but different things like that. But yeah, that they reached out to try to say, hey, don't do this or don't do that because this this could happen. So the name of the guy who was supposedly made it up uh, was a floyer, uh, floyer, Florida entertainment lawyer named Larry Haber. Oh, Larry. Along with his brother, Maury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hi, we're Maury. I'm Larry. Larry, Larry Haber. How are you? How are you now? Jeez. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it's just too, I don't know. I... I I am, I am, and I have expressed um, my skepticism of some things before. This just feels different. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, I don't know, and and it may be just super interesting. So. Yeah, it could be that too. I don't know. You, if you want to believe, so that's Larry Haber. He looks like a goob. Yeah, like uh, his his head and his neck don't really yeah, separate. That's him now. <laughs> he was on one of the videos uh, But anyways, yeah, check out, do any research if, if there's anything that you guys know that we haven't talked about That you thought was relevant, I'd like to know I'm still very, very interested in this uh, case here uh, And I think it's something that's going to stick with me for a little while um, It's very, very interesting if you, you know, If you have um, several hours to kill 
uh, go look up the message board and just read through the pages and pages and pages of information that he gives. Yeah, I, I even, I mean, just Reddit and all sorts of other places yeah. have, have uh, put it all together and it's there to be read. It's remarkable. What a remarkable story. It, it, even if it's fantasy, it's fake, it's one hell of a good sci-fi yeah, story. Right. Like, uh, And I'm surprised, again, no one's made a movie about this because it's great. Well, and... Well, but what would the movie be? A guy sitting in front of a computer type? No, but I mean, just talking about his future yeah, and, yeah. and time travel. Right. And, and I just, you know, I haven't seen these concepts. So. Uh, this would probably be a really good mockumentary. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I'm I'm interested. So, all right. So that kind of wraps up uh, part two of John Tidor. Um, yeah. But really, like I said, we could easily go into parts five, six, seven. Yeah, I don't know. Very good. Um, but let's jump into our listener story before we get out of here. So our listener story, uh, this one comes uh, another person from Kentucky. Uh, this talks about when they were, I believe, at the University of Kentucky. Um, this comes from a person named Corey Starr. Uh, I'm, it's a really cool story. Uh, we'll, we'll get that. My friend Caitlin McGlade, uh, one of my students, uh, one of my improv students, she's an improviser. She actually lives out in uh, Arizona now, so I'll actually be getting to see her when I go out there. That's cool. Uh, she's also a really great journalist, um, and she's just phenomenal, and she agreed to do this for us and portray this for us, and uh, it's it's a really cool story. So let's go ahead and check that out. Hey, Spooky Crew. My name is Corey, and I am from Kentucky. In 2013 or 14, my best friend and I were in Kerwin Towers, a dorm at the University of Kentucky. When we moved in, there was dust about two inches thick everywhere. We were placed there as a last resort spot because we had to be moved from another dorm. One night, we were lying in our beds, watching the TV, when it started changing channels. We looked at each other and didn't say anything, but looked at the floor where our remote was between us. We turned it off. That was one of the first things that happened. Once, my radio turned on, and it wasn't even plugged into the wall. The hand motion paper towel dispenser in the bathrooms would go off when I was in there alone. The two shelves above our beds had carved names, Nick, and on my side, Clay, on hers. We were asleep one night. And I woke up to my friend gasping for air. I ran to her, and she said she woke up, but couldn't move her body, and a loud roaring was in her ear. She was terrified and crying. Many other things have happened in this room. Later, we found out the floor used to be a boy's floor, and two boys fell out of our window. Afterwards, when we moved into an apartment together, our hauntings from Nick and Clay joined us. But they died off once we had our own places. Maybe they were obsessed with us as a pair. I don't know. Hell, we may never know. I like the use of the word died off there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever she knew. (laughs) The pun was intended there. But yeah, but that's, man, that is super creepy. In in the little bit of a night hag there, too, with the sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, and then... 
I mean, I can remember living in dorms, too, and I uh, went to Western Kentucky University, you know, and living in those older dorms. And, man, I mean, I can remember, like, I feel like we would he- we would wake up and hear, like, the hand dryers going off yeah. at night. Nobody would be in there. And, well, and I mean, the dorm, like that. the dorm that we stayed at uh, when we were all at Campbellsville together, you know, it used to yeah, be a Broadway. hotel. Oh, yeah, before it was a hotel. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've yeah. talked about that so, quite a bit. It was all kinds of different stuff. That pla- oh, man, most of my stories come from that place. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that was still a really, a really interesting story, and it, and it makes me, you know, again thinking about um, the night had the night hag aspect, and the mm-hmm. fact that you know, again, that I think that they're like entities that feed on fear, and so if there, if there, if there is, if there's already maybe negative energy in a space because of a, a you know, boys falling out of a window, or right, that, that kind of stuff get kind of stuck behind. I wonder if that helps to facilitate the the fear of the occupants and that draws oh for sure and draws gotta, the night hag to it you got to think you got two horny college boys all of a sudden have women on their floor right, right. like they're even if they're dead you know like yeah. they're ghosts did, 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 did they lose their libido i don't know <laughs> but you know it's like hey all of a sudden they can mess with these these chicks they're like yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean it just makes me wonder if if that's if more um if there are more night hag activities in a place that is also haunted, uh, I would say yeah. I, I guarantee yes. I and I guess it depends on the type of hauntings too. Who knows? Because I mean, we still don't know yeah what a night hag is, right? Right. So, yeah. but who knows? I mean, what if it, it? You know, there's a lot of theories we've talked about that night hags are alien visitation. So maybe yeah. not. So I don't know. Right. Don't it's know. Interesting. But uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, that was. Great. Thank you so much, Corey, for sending that in. We appreciate it. And thank you, Caitlin, for uh, portraying that. It was wonderful. Um, but we need to start getting out of here. Yeah. Um, but wanted to, before we get going, I wanted to say to people ways that you can uh, get to know more about Fearscape is by checking out our website at www.fearscapepodcast.com. On there, you can check out uh, the podcast itself. There's links there for you to just... There's a player in there. You can play it straight from there. Yep. You can uh, find links to our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, which is all uh, at Fearscape Pod, or even to our YouTube uh, page, which is Fearscape Media, which has a bunch of different content on there that you can't get because we've got some video-only things like Fearscape Unhinged, uh, as well as any kind of... Sometimes we vlog. Sometimes we do Estes experiments. Yep. And we we sometimes put different stuff on there, and so it's worth checking out. Uh, and um, brain just died. That's unfortunate. But the other thing that we have <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the other thing that we have out there now. Uh, anybody who may have hit the website may have noticed it, um, but you also should have uh, by now heard uh, an announcement or seen an announcement on Facebook, other places. Um, we have our own kind of uh, forum social media thing out there now. It's called uh, Social Scape. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a clever name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you can go out there, uh, create an account. Um, you know, there, there's an activity page, like a wall type thing mm-hmm. uh, for you to see what's been going on. You can create groups, join groups, the whole kit and caboodle. And it's, it's really, you know, the idea is to dedicate it to um, or to have it dedicated to for a paranormal, spooky 
type conversation type place. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you John Teeters out there, this is a perfect opportunity. Um, But yeah, we're hoping to build, you know, all of our blanket huggers out there. You guys can get on there and communicate with each other and share stories. Um, as well as share your sightings, anything that you see. Yep. Um, I, I, I think eventually we'll also have a where you can um, just send in your uh, listener story yep. as well, have a contact form for that. Um, all sorts of stuff, but we want to make it a centralized location for yep. uh, paranormal goodness because yeah. that's what we are. We're right. centralized. <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't be soon because you're moving. But anyway. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, feel free to check that out. While you're there, you know, check out the store, check out our Patreon if you'd like to, you know, to support us. Uh, now that things are kind of opening up, we're hoping to get out in the field more and do some more, um, uh, personal development type stuff when it comes to paranormal and the spooky. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, even on Patreon, our lowest tier, you can get a sticker now. I mean, for free, you get a free sticker. It's awesome. Yep. And, uh, check out, of course, he said the store. We've got some new shirts again already. From a cartoonist friend of mine named Aaron Smith. Uh, he has, uh, created based off of an idea that we had, uh, two versions of a, of a design for a shirt, um, based off of an Angie Fenton thing, yeah. who's a journalist here in Kentucky, you know, basically uh, that, you know, fearscape is like landscape, but spookier. Right. So, <laughs> and you'll see the picture. It's hilarious. So, but yeah, the, check those out, man. We have so much great stuff on that store page. It just gets bigger and bigger yep. and bigger and bigger. I love it. Growing. So, but let's get out of here. Remember, go to fearscapepodcast.com. Send any listener stories to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or anywhere you find us. And uh, we're going to get out of here. We love you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in as usual. This has been Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. (laughs) Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. Ha 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 